Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're looking at the work of the Royal Society of Chemistry, and more broadly, the role that chemistry can play in addressing key societal challenges. With me to discuss that is Dr. Helen Payne, Chief Executive of the Royal Society for Chemistry. Dr. Payne, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Gavin. It's really good to be here and to talk to you today. Maybe we can start off with a, a little bit of an introduction to the Royal Society of Chemistry, uh, what it does, who its members are, how it works. We are a professional body and, uh, you know, the RSC has been around for very many years. Our kind of origins date back to the mid-1800s, uh, but since then we really have changed and evolved, become a very important uh, voice within the chemical sciences. So our role as a professional body ensures that we set standards within chemistry and uphold the, the teaching and practice of the science. We have around 45,000 members worldwide. And our international representation is really important to us because chemistry, chemical science is absolutely part of the global scientific endeavor. With that in mind, we're also a large scientific publisher. So we publish peer review journals uh, and articles, which is really important for underpinning the, the strength within the discipline, but also ensures that our community can communicate you know, the, the important work and research within the chemical sciences. And of course, much of our work around being a professional body, around being a publisher, that kind of interception ensures that we are very strong as the voice for the, the profession, uh, for the science, and enables us then to have uh, credibility in terms of input into policy, uh, into evidence work, but also sustaining and supporting uh, our input to science education. So. Uh, we certainly um, have a large input across higher education, but also across the teaching curriculum as well. And through that, we seek to connect with the public uh, as well to ensure that the, you know, the world of chemistry is accessible to um, the public audience. And I think that's really important and certainly has been very important to the RSC certainly over the last few years, which is all about ensuring that the, sci uh, the science is communicated effectively uh, to everybody uh, who certainly needs chemistry around them. Well, that's a whole range of different things, and I'm sure we're going to pull on a number of those things as we go through, particularly in this area of policy. Uh, and I do know that the society's recently developed a new strategy with a new purpose statement to help the chemical science community make the world a better place. That's a pretty big aim. Um, it is. So, it is. <laughs> so, so how is this, this new purpose and the, the strategy more generally really going to help the way that the society works and that you make the world a better place? So this is all about the original remit of the RSC, the reason we exist and the reason that the RSC and its predecessor organisations have existed for very many years. So our charter, we have charter that we're, we're governed by, actually says that we're here to advance the chemical sciences. But what has become really apparent to us over the last few years is the importance of the community working together. And it's, it is about the science, but principally it's about the people who make the science happen, make it work, and ensure that science is there very much you know, for the good uh, and public benefit. So our slight shift in purpose is to reflect that, it's to reflect the support that we give to our community and in terms of making the world a better place, we all know the challenges around us at the moment, uh, whether that be climate change or, in fact, any one of the 17 sustainable development goals. And we feel that chemistry plays such a huge role and the chemical science community absolutely plays its part in really saying this and saying it uh, out loud. It helps to drive us and helps us to focus where we can make a difference and where the science can make a difference 
both now but well into the future because the chemical sciences play a role not just in the short term but in, in, in the very long term as well. So when we say making the world a better place, we realise that we have different starting points uh, for varying different challenges that we all face. But it's about showing that incremental progress and it's about making the commitment and beyond the commitment, demonstrating action that really do have an impact for society as a whole. And, you know, whether that be in the environment, whether it be across the economy uh, or whether it be about making all of our lives just that little bit more comfortable in the way that we choose to live and, and to operate. That's great. And, and let's look at one or two of these challenges, because as we're talking now, the leaders of the world are gathering in Glasgow for COP26. How does chemistry, how do chemical scientists fit into sort of solving this issue of climate change? Well, chemistry, I mean, chemistry is all around us. Chemistry is the, you know, the fundamental discipline that, you know, the way that molecules come together, the way that things work. So chemistry provides solutions and fundamentally, you know, chemistry is about the change and it is about uh, how you use the science to actually make things work differently. Um, you find new, way, new and novel ways of doing things uh, and, and certainly provide those innovative solutions. So chemistry provides a lot of the opportunities to do that. Uh, for example, you know, climate change is all about how, you know, the greenhouse gases and, you know, the emissions that we put out into the atmosphere by all the things that we do every day. And if there are ways of doing that differently that reduces those greenhouse gases, in particular, the excessive uh, amount of carbon dioxide we pump out into our atmosphere every day, if we can do something with that carbon dioxide and change that and use it in a more productive, environmentally friendly way, then that has huge benefits for all of us, both for the economy, but also for society. So actually, you know, the input chemistry can make can be phenomenal. So we have a great example. And in fact, on our website, you'll see many examples, many uh, um, that really highlight uh, the great work that's been done by our community. And there's quite a few videos that kind of uh, exemplify some of this research. So for example, taking carbon dioxide out of the, the, the atmosphere and seeking to use the carbon dioxide, which is produced as a waste product from other activity, and actually turning that into something useful, turning it into polymers that we can use in materials that will help sustain uh, everyday life going forward. So I think chemistry, absolutely, there are so many examples, whether that be across energy, batteries, looking at how we manufacture our food, looking at water supply, where chemistry absolutely provides those solutions to do things differently. And, and that's the innovative and the exciting part where we can provide some of those uh, alternatives to maybe how we choose to do things currently. So I think at COP26, I think chemistry has a major part to play uh, in, you know, giving confidence and actually some optimism to the discussion because there are solutions out there if the governments around the world choose to invest appropriately in the technology and uh, the research, the development. But again, not just research that we do today, but also, you know, looking at research into the future to make sure there's an appropriate uh, level of work being done uh, that both facilitates, you know, change in the short term, but also change in the longer term. So lots of good opportunity. So let's look at a couple of examples of some of these technologies. Uh, you mentioned polymers, and I know that the society has worked on polymers in liquid formulation or PLFs, which... I hope is as unfamiliar to my audience as it is to me. I'd never heard of them before, but I'm hoping that you can explain what a PLF is, but, but also why the Royal Society of Chemistry is focusing on this particular area. Um, 
Absolutely, Gavin. I, I mean, PLFs were new to me too. And uh, when we first started to work on the opportunities that the RSC can provide in, in bringing together, you know, some of the research, some of the industry kind of interests in this area. So polymers and liquid formulation, polymers are long repeating organic uh, chains of, of, of molecules that are actually all around us. There are very many examples that exist in virtually all the products that we use. So whether it's paint or whether it's uh, shampoos or whether it's other materials that we'd be very familiar with, these are very important. PLS are very important because they, they make things work in the way that they do. They give the kind of fluidity and elasticity to, to various substances and, and uh, other products that we use and we'd be, all be very familiar with. The problem is, is they are produced once and often used once and then wasted. So all the energy and the resources uh, and the components that go into making them and manufacturing them are only have the opportunity to kind of add value, whether that's to the, you know, the, the output or, or kind of economic value once. So the opportunity to look at different ways of enabling reuse of these polymers is really important. Thinking differently about how they're produced is very important. And this is certainly something which uh, those that we work with and we have kind of convened as part of a task group that we've brought together have a great interest in. Um, so we have pulled together representatives from industries that have you know, a great interest in PLS to help that conversation and to find the opportunities about how we can do things differently. And that's the basis for our kind of work around polymeristic formulation. And it's just one example of a program, a synergy program that we have, which is where we find uh, examples of things which are a challenge within the industry or within the, within the kind of scientific community. And we seek to bring different parts of our community together to provide those solutions uh, and those opportunities, again, to think differently and think innovatively. And hopefully through that, you know, find, you know, absolutely find better ways of doing things uh, that don't detract from the great, you know, science and, and the great benefits that, that uh, these polymers or all these substances bring, but actually seek to do it, do it better. That's a really important message. That this is not about stopping doing things. It's about doing things better and reusing things that we're already doing. Many people have not heard of PLFs, but pretty much everyone has heard of plastics. Thanks to a number of people, including David Attenborough and uh, Blue Planet and whatever, people are very aware of the, the danger that plastics pose to the environment. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about plastics, about how the Royal Society of Chemistry has approached the problem with plastics, the way that you talk about them and so on. Plastics, obviously, over very, very many years have provided a very convenient way of doing very many things, whether that be producing new objects, uh, a new kind of parts of technology, or pretty much to be just convenient in, in everyday life. But of course, as you quite rightly say, that uh, emphasis has been placed, for example, on single use plastics, or even how plastics are then, you know, what, what happens to them once we've actually used them. So we have looked at different ways that plastics are manufactured and how they are then recycled and reused. And the whole point about looking at this area is because, again, there are different ways of doing things and there are different opportunities so that we don't stop using plastics altogether. But we look at different ways of recycling them. And one of the key things we uh, we went out to the public and we did a survey to find out what were the most challenging parts of or the most challenging aspect of using plastics uh, in society. And it comes down to recycling and the complications that, uh, you know, every, all of us, you know, face when we're looking at what gets recycled where, what can we put in our curbside recycling, what can we take to our, you know, our local recycling centre. 
So in many cases, it's about providing better ways of explaining what plastics are, how we use plastics, but also how we look for alternatives to the use of plastics. So again, our work seeks to bring together different players within you know, the whole sector. So whether it be uh, the chemical scientist is looking for different uh, ways of producing plastics, or whether it's a, a manufacturer looking for a different uh, technology or different uh, way of producing their product, or whether it be a food manufacturer looking at different ways of preserving their products and kind of the onward uh, then kind of resale of their you know, foodstuffs. So it is absolutely about looking across all sectors and just finding, finding different ways of having the conversation so that there are opportunities to do things differently. And that really kind of underpins the work that we did around plastics, but it also enables us then to talk about the policy of how plastics are produced. So, and you know, a lot of the work that the RSC does is to go out and speak to the community uh, to find the people who are the experts who can talk about these areas of work, to find the industries that seek to use them, because that's very important from, you know, for the economy. And actually using the RSC's convening power, bring together the, the evidence, bring together the people, bring together the, the industry, bring together the sector, and have the conversation that ultimately leads to doing things in a different way, uh, which ultimately is you know, better for the economy and more sustainable and uh, better for the environment. But yeah, plastics absolutely is a big area for the RSC's kind of focus. So you talked just then about bringing industry together and bringing the public together. I wanted just to ask you about how the RSC works with policymakers. And uh, like so many organisations, you fit into a kind of a science advice ecosystem. How do you do that in what's potentially a crowded, crowded, sorry, marketplace with a number of different people trying to engage in the policy debate. It's interesting you reference as a crowded marketplace. I think it's different voices, and and the aim of the RSC is we absolutely aim to play our part in this kind of broad ecosystem. Whether we're talking about policy talking about the science, talking about our role as a publisher, our role as a professional body. And there is a big ecosystem, both within the UK, but also internationally. We believe that we have a very important place to, to kind of hold onto uh, from a chemical science perspective. So we seek to work in partnership with others where our voice can be lent to other voices to make those policy positions or asks of government stronger. We absolutely do that where we feel we have the opportunity and the knowledge and experience to lead on policy positions or areas that we seek to influence, we absolutely take that leadership role. But I think it's about understanding the systemic changes that need to happen and then focusing where we have strength and opportunity, certainly playing to the RSC's strengths, but also recognising that multidisciplinary approach, you know, across biology, across physics, across healthcare, across chemistry. Um, but also the kind of interdisciplinary where we work, you know, with other sectors, so for example, the engineering sector. And, you know, we have a number of examples where we've sought to influence policy. For example, in the latest, you know, comprehensive spending review, we partnered uh, with other organisations to uh, put together our call on government in terms of uh, spending review and investment in R&D. We certainly worked with the Institute of Physics, Royal Society of Biology. We also work with the Science Council to lend strength to, to their voice as well. Across the work we've done in inclusion and diversity, we really have sought to take a leadership role. Uh, we've worked very closely again within the STEM community, but also contributing to work again that the, the Science Council, the Royal Academy of Engineering have done in their prog uh, progression framework, which looks at uh, inclusion and diversity. 
So a number of different examples where we work with other organizations, um, we lend our support to commitments uh, that others kind of lead on, but we also take that leadership role where we strongly believe that we have an opportunity to ensure that change happens and it's making sure that change happens is, is really important to us. You, you talked in amongst the different things there about inclusion and diversity and, and it was one of the things I was hoping to uh, ask you about. There are long-standing problems associated with inclusion and diversity in research and development careers both in academia and in industry and chemistry is not immune from that it's a but it's wider than chemistry of course what can you as the learning society and, and learning societies more generally do to help in that space i think we all have to recognize that change is needed within our whichever discipline whichever sector we're working in uh, we know that inclusion diversity is absolutely key to having a strong workforce for example uh, diversity leads to better research better outcomes better education opportunities uh, for individuals as well. So it's looking for where we can provide the right kind of leadership, but also provide the evidence, the tools, the support that are needed to make that systemic change, you know, across our, uh, across the chemical sciences, across our sector. So yeah, so our focus has always been about seeking the evidence and the data. So uh, several years ago, we did a big piece of work uh, uh, looking at the kind of the landscape, chemical science landscape, uh, looked at diversity in, in you know, its broader sense, and just to see what you know position we were in at that point, and that led to some very interesting findings, and that led on to us looking, um, for example, at the career progression of women within academia, and uh, we launched a kind of groundbreaking report called Breaking the Barriers uh, that highlighted a number of areas where things needed to change within uh, the chemical sciences to enable women to progress uh, more um, actually through their career. That then led us to look at other areas of inclusion diversity, in particular around the LGBT plus community, looking at the culture within the chemical sciences. And some of the outcomes from that were to put in place some specific tools to help our community, not just our members, but the broader chemical science community. But the other thing that we also focus on, and it goes back to my point about working with others, partnering, is that kind of whole collaboration because again we know that just working as the RSC on our own we will not make the change or enable that change in culture uh, to happen we do need to kind of work and look uh, to support others in doing the work that they do but equally where they support us in delivering on our work so a good example of that is we we're working with partners uh, and influencing we've uh, produced a joint commitment for action on inclusion and diversity in publishing for example so again, that is looking across a very broad number of publishers who have signed up to that commitment where we absolutely took a leadership role uh, in enabling that to happen. And that's for the good of our subject, but also for the good of science research as a whole. And those are things that we feel very proud of. And we'll continue to learn because of course this job is never done. The work in inclusion and diversity will not be complete at any point. Our strategy now looks out five years. We've got a number of actions in there but what I have been really clear about within the RSC is it is about the actions that we take to enable change not just about the commitments that we sign up to so I think that's a really strong point that we need to uh, continue to be focused on. Yeah no that's very clear and a whole range of different things and that message that inclusion and diversity is never finished is a really important one uh, to, to keep making. I wanted to draw you just in a parallel sort of issue to do with skills. 
how does the society work both with industry and indeed with the higher education and further education communities to ensure that when we're training people, we're actually training people for the jobs of tomorrow, not the jobs of yesterday? Oh, absolutely. So, so looking at future skills, what, what's the workforce going to look like? You know, we didn't know what the workforce was going to look like. You know, if I go back two years, of course, so much has changed within the workforce. And of course, everybody now needs far more enabled digital skills, for example, you know, our home working environment, our, you know, using, you know, various Zoom or Teams platforms, for example. Um, so if we look ahead, we know that the world of work and, and the different skills that, that are going to be needed are, are going to keep changing. So it is really important for us as the, you know, in, in supporting the profession of the chemical sciences to be really understanding of what that future workforce looks like. In fact, we've recently done some reports to kind of highlight, you know, where we believe uh, research and, you know, application of the chemical sciences and the teaching of the chemical sciences, how that might look differently in the future. But of course, that also involves us working directly with uh, education and it's education at all stages, not just a higher education, but it's you know, working from primary through secondary, tertiary education, further education, and then looking at higher education as well. And working with industry to understand the needs of industry in the future, because it's going to be so important for all of us that we have a strong chemical science workforce in the future, you know, to enable all of that great you know, discovery and application and innovation. And of course, that will take different skills. So some of the skills that we are you know, really seeing coming through now is the uh, data skills, which are absolutely essential um, from research, but also in industry as well. So we work with industry to understand their needs. And again, this isn't something that we always that we simply do as the RSC. This is something where we, we work across the whole STEM community as well. And then we work with higher education and certainly with our university partners to look at the courses that uh, those going through universities follow and of course we accredit uh, 99% of the UK university courses in chemistry and that's very important in terms of our role of upholding standards and we also work with our community so we listen to those that uh, work very closely with us so certainly across our education division council and our science division councils to ensure that the policies that we aim to put in place but also aim to influence are the right policies uh, for ensuring the strength of the future of education skills uh, um, needs. Um, we also award the Charter Chemist designation, which again is all part of our role as a professional body in upholding uh, standards in the practice or teaching of the chemical sciences. And certainly in our review of the chemical uh, of the Charter Chemist's um, status, we've looked at the attributes to ensure that they reflect current working trends, but also build for future uh, working trends as well and the needs of the kind of the future workforce and that's that too is very important we also did a big piece of work a couple of years ago on called digital futures again that sought to gain the evidence but also to exemplify the types of roles uh, that we saw being needed within the chemical sciences over the future and it's not just in the next three four five years it's in you know 10 20 30 years uh, because that really is the time frame that we need to work towards to really ensure that those who are coming up through school now have the right level of understanding and preparation in their kind of uh, scientific training to be able to go on to do those uh, future roles uh, that will be needed uh, in the future. And the way we approach the support for teachers is very much to support the teaching community so that they too have access to the skills and resources that they need to ensure that their students are, are fully enabled and equipped to deal with the, you know, the various challenges that uh, studying sciences presents. No, and an awful lot going on. 
now we're coming towards the end, but uh, I just wanted to sort of ask you one more question, and this is taking you back a little bit to the world of policy. So I've no evidence whatsoever that the new science minister, George Freeman, is listening to this podcast. I always live in hope, of course. Uh, but just assuming that he is, what are the most important things that you would like to see from him over, say, the next one or two years? So, Gavin, I'm sure George Freeman will be listening to this podcast. Uh, I think he has uh, certainly moved into his role as science minister with uh, a great commitment to the sciences as a whole, which is, is, is very good to see. And of course, we're just out of the, you know, the outcome from the spending review. So I know that uh, a number of announcements were made last week. So, of course, we'd still advocate for, you know, the continued investment in R&D, certainly to ensure the strength of UK science. I think recognising the skills that we already have within the UK and building on those talent and really aspiring to have that leadership position, I think, is absolutely you know, something that I would ask you know, the science minister to focus on ensuring that the funding that has been promised already through the spending review comes through and uh, looking at how that is used effectively, both in terms of investing in research, discovery research, and also the kind of the application of the science as well. Of course, as you may have seen in, in the news release and uh, press releases last week, there is some disappointment across the community that uh, there wasn't the announcement that gave us the 22 billion uh, by uh, 2024, 2025 that we had all called for. But at least we did get the increase of 20 billion and, and with that kind of expectation that there will be it will increase further uh, by 2026, 2027. But we must keep focus on that. Um, we must keep funding in R&D to enable the strength within the community, but also how that science is used and effectively used to innovate uh, you know, for all of our, you know, all of the UK. But more importantly, to ensure that the UK plays its part in the global scientific community and with a number of challenges to how we contribute and enable us to take part in the, in the global community over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I very much hope the science minister will work with us and will listen to the community. And we're absolutely here to support the science minister in doing the job that he needs to do and, uh, you know, supporting those that he works with um, and providing the, the support, the communities, the connectivity into the sector, the research, the understanding um, and sharing the great enormous knowledge uh, that we have, you know, not just within the chemical sciences, but across all science, uh, you know, to, hope, to help solve, you know, some of these global challenges. And, you know, the UK really can take a leading role in that, uh, but only if we work as part of the global uh, scientific community. So I think lots of the science minister to do and to be focused on, but the community is here to support that work. Um, and we'd very much you know, like to engage in those conversations. Well, that's a great uh, message to finish on. And let's hope that the minister is on the phone to you uh, in the coming weeks. <laughs> Dr. Helen Payne, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Gavin. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr. Helen Payne, Chief Executive of the Royal Society of Chemistry. You can find all previous editions of this podcast, along with details of all our events, all our blogs, on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, we'll be discussing COP26, and my guest will be Amar Bardwidge, a member of the US-UK COP26 Youth Working Group. Until then, goodbye.